You are now listening to The Secret Life of a Grad Student. I'm Megan. I'm Laura, and we are two grad students who want to share the untold stories of graduate students past and present. Hi everyone. In this episode, I'm interviewing Catherine from England, who is suffering from chronic fatigue since her late childhood. She is now finishing her PhD, where she chose to study her illness from a microbiome perspective. Today, Catherine shares with us what she learned as a student to cope with her disability during her PhD. I'm recording now. Can you uh, introduce yourself, please, to the audience? Hi, I'm Catherine. I am currently doing a PhD at UVA, University of East Anglia in Norwich. Good. So you're still a graduate student? Yes, I'm in my final year. Can you tell us how science started for you in your life? Did you have any early influences? Yeah, so when I was probably about 15 years ago, I would not think that I would be doing science right now because I was very sporty when I was younger. So I thought that like I wanted to be like a stunt woman or an athlete or something like that. But then I quickly came to realise due to my disability that I wasn't able to actually pursue that anymore. So then I switched to the idea of graphic design. But then when I went to college and did my A-levels, I had really good support network from my science teachers. So my biology and chemistry teachers were amazing. They really engaged me in the subject and helped me above and beyond what I could have expected it really opened up the possibility that I could do anything and that I never really believed that I was bright enough to do science so I never thought of doing anything like that and then when they kind of helped me get high grades I really started to believe in myself and then I thought that maybe it was possible to do something that would make a difference so that's how I got into science. Okay, so you, you continue in college more into science. At this moment, did you already imagine grad school or what, what did you think about uh, the job as a scientist? So I did um, biomedical science from my degree and imagined myself working in like a, a pharma company, so in a drug company. But then I did my final year research project And I really enjoyed the freedom that I had choosing, like designing my own project. It just, there was so much flexibility and it was really interesting. And I I just realized that to actually go into academia and do a PhD, I could get so much more out of science than if it was to just go into industry. So that's why... That's kind of what helped me make the decision. And how did you find out about your grad school? So I did my undergraduate degree at Newcastle University and I basically went on is it findaphd.com, put in the search term um, myalgic encephalomyelitis and this was one of the two only PhDs that came off. So, so yeah, but the deadline for it was in January and I had loads of I had loads of deadlines for my undergraduate degree, so I didn't manage to actually apply for it. But afterwards, I emailed the supervisor of the project asking if he had any connections. Kind of sent him um, a personal statement and my CV and said, "I'm really interested. These are the skills that I've got. 
and he replied to me saying send in an application we're happy to review it so that's that's how mm. I got the PhD. And so when did you start your PhD now? Three years ago. Can you uh, tell me a bit about your work as a graduate student and what is your day-to-day -day like? My schedule can be very different because I'm, I'm doing a human study. So um, I had to design the study, set up the ethics and then recruit patients and then go on and do the experiments and collect samples. Um, so one day I could be writing a 40-page document to do, with my, to do with my ethics. The next day I could be on the phone to a number of participants, telling them about the study. And then another day I could be on the road going to get samples and consenting patients. And then the rest of the time I am in the lab doing experiments. Can you tell us a bit about your project? I am... Um, researching the cause and progression of myalgic encephalomyelitis. So the disease, it's also known as chronic fatigue syndrome, but a lot of patients don't like to label it that, hence why I usually prefer to it as my myalgic encephalomyelitis. So I'm looking to see whether there's an abnormal immune response to gut microbes in patients so that's mainly what my research centers around that's very interesting that you're studying the disease that you have can you describe it for you how it looks like every day for me now i i'm one of the lucky people in that when i first got ill i was a completely different person but i managed to progress and get better to the point where i am today um, but a lot of, a lot of people don't don't manage to improve but for me on a daily basis how it still affects me is I can get tired a lot more easily than like the, the normal person. So I have to be careful not to do too much. If I know I've got a long experiment to do in the lab, I have to prepare in advance and not do too much the day before, make sure I've got a meal um, that I can put in the microwave when I get back. And as well, it's quite hard to sometimes communicate because I get a lot of brain fog. So I can sometimes like struggle, especially when I'm having a discussion with my supervisor, to actually put across what I'm trying to explain, because I struggle to find the right word and actually string a sentence together if I am at a point where I don't feel very well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think that's... <laughs> you, so you mentioned it started in childhood? Yes, it started when I was... 13. So I first got a virus that was kind of, the only way I can describe it was that it was like a cross between glandular fever. So I think that's mono in the US and meningitis. So I had like severe headaches and stomach pains and I couldn't move my head without like shooting pains in my head. And I didn't really ever recover from that. I didn't go back to school full time. And four months later, I got diagnosed with myalgic encephalomyelitis. So I had to completely change. My life had already changed, but I had to put things into place. Like I could no longer do any of my sports that I used to do. So I used to do probably two sports a day after, after school. I used to play musical instruments. Um, I had to stop all that because I didn't even have the energy to go to school full time. So the only thing I used to do on a daily basis was 
go to school for one or two hours and then my mum would come and pick me up in the car. Bearing in mind that my secondary school was actually across the road, I couldn't, I didn't even have the energy to walk back to my house. So yeah, and then when I got back to my house, I used to just sit and look at a wall because I didn't have the energy to do anything else. But if I did feel okay, I would like say watch a film like Bridget Jones that I've seen a hundred times and know the plot so I don't have to actually concentrate on it. So so yeah. Um but then I gradually increased the hours at school, managed to do all of my GCSEs, but I did some of them I did from home, so I didn't always go off to lessons as well. Uh, one of the things that really affects me is the ret- uh, retention of information. So for me to learn something, I have to read and go over it four or five times. So it takes me a lot longer. So basically, especially during my GCSEs, the only thing I had and that I could focus on was my education. So that that was the only thing that really kept me going. But if like, so when I first got ill, um, I was at a point where by the time it got to night, I was too tired to walk up, my st- up the stairs. So my dad had to carry me to bed. Some days as well, I didn't have the energy to actually eat. So I had to be like fed by my parents. And my mum used to wash me in, in the bath as well because I couldn't, I couldn't do any of that. So I was basically a shell of a person. So I used to have focus that I channeled into sports. But because I couldn't do that, because that was kind of taken away from me, I focused it on my education. And that's how I got to where I am today. Yeah, that's uh, such a brilliant path. So you said that things improved. Can you tell us a bit about how did you manage to improve? Basically, what I did was I paced and slowly increased what I did. So say in the first year I had it, I didn't, the increases weren't, huge because if I did it too much then I would have a relapse and then have weeks in bed not really able to do anything so yeah it was just I'm trying to think of a point when I started when I went to college and did my A-levels I could manage my time more and because you had more of a flexible schedule and so I could more I could participate more and it wasn't it was kind of like a fresh start for me because everyone from school knew me as like the the girl who hardly ever came into school. I basically, it, my mum helped me out a lot. She kind of helped me to figure out how to increase activities without going too much and pushing myself too much because I had a tendency to, if I felt a little bit of energy, I'd be like, oh, great, like I'm fine, I'm normal. I could do everything, anything that I want and then I would crash. So my mum would like help me rein it in and avoid as many crashes. So naturally, like the, the disease progression, especially when you get it at a younger age, you can improve if you don't, if you avoid so many crashes. So, yeah. So, yeah, you mentioned that your parents really supported you. But now that you are in grad school, are you still feeling supported by your family, friends and peers? Yes, so I still feel incredibly supported by my family. They, like, at the drop of a hat, if I'm not very well, they will drive down 
and come and get me to take me home and look after me despite the fact that I now live seven hours away from them so so yeah so that's really nice I've got um, a really close friend from my undergraduate who's really understanding we try and visit each other a, a few times a year but he comes to me more than I go to him because he knows that traveling can be really difficult and can sometimes take me a long time to recover that's really really nice and then in terms of like the people that I met when I started my PhD at first I kind of shielded them from my illness and kind of I can make to the outside world make it seem like I'm okay so at first I didn't have that much support from them but that was purely because of me not allowing them to see that I needed the help once I kind of opened up and said look this is what I can and can't manage everyone was really supportive um like I my supervisors are really understanding and really good and yeah you mentioned before that you were traveling a lot for your PhD, at least that you travel some days, you are on the road, that's what you mentioned. How much is difficult for you to do your science with your illness and how did you manage to combine everything to not have crashes after? So I basically had to admit to my supervisors that although I can drive and I've got a drive, driving license, driving makes me incredibly tired. So I, every time I had to do a home visit um, to get samples, someone else would drive and say if I went to courses or conferences, I would always travel down the day before so that I could rest up before. So yeah, it's kind of just admitting that like these are my limitations we need to find solutions for them do you have a specific time where in grad school your illness has been very challenging to you so I did actually have to pause my PhD for three months because I got to a point where I wasn't really coping with managing my energy levels because I had a lot of things going on in my life outside of the actual PhD work as well as it was the busiest time in my PhD, but because I had a lot going on in like my social life, not necessarily, I had some quite difficult things that were also going on and that would drain me. And I ended up just completely burning out and to a point where I would go into, into work and be able to work for like a couple of hours and then be too tired and have to go back home. So I eventually decided that I needed to pause the PhD so that I could recover because I was obviously having a relapse. Um, so, yeah, so I, I just took time out, focused on my health and then got to a point where I could come come back and restart my PhD. For you, you really had to learn your limitation uh, yeah. because it's really part of yourself now and for, it's been for a long time. And I think it's, uh, it's great that today you can recognize when you're asking too much on you and that you really need a break. I think it's something that not a lot of people have the quality to do so and they burn themselves up because of that. So I think it's a great quality to have. But now I don't want to speak for you. So with all of this, is there any silver lining of your uh, situation? Yeah, definitely. I wouldn't really be who I am today. I'd be a completely different person. I, I feel like 
I'm so much more aware of other people, how they might be feeling. And as well, I feel like I've got a really rewarding career ahead of me. I'm hoping to stay in ME research, which, so ME as an illness um, has had, a, it's been a bit of a taboo subject in the past. So there's not that much research being done. And I feel because I really understand, I can like try and encourage other people to get involved in the research. And yeah, I feel like I'm hoping to be able to make a difference and maybe find some sort of treatment for these patients. You say it used to be a taboo uh, subject. Can you tell us a bit about that? Basically, I, I don't really know why, but despite there being an obvious like viral link to the illness um, at onset, when there's been outbreaks in the past, they've kind of been labelled as mass hysteria and labelled as psychological without like a proper biological underpinning to the disease. So that really took the, sorry, I'm finding it difficult to find the right word. It kind of steered the research in a direction that it shouldn't have taken. So that was really damaging for the patient community because no, it, it's difficult to understand as it is because it's an invisible illness. But then for people to not really believe that it's an illness in itself because they're, they're saying, oh, it's psychological, it's all in your head. Just go out and exercise and you'll feel better. No, that and um, it even like translated into the medical community. Like there's some there's some doctors that don't necessarily believe in ME as an illness. Like I can remember going to Brewdog um, a, a bar I drink and someone asked me what I did. And they said that I'm a PhD student researching ME. And then they, they said, oh, that's that, that's that make-believe illness that like fat people say that they've got because they're just lazy. And then I turned around, like, I, us- I don't always speak up, but I turned around and I, was, I said, so are you calling me fat then? And he was like, what? No, you're clearly not fat. And I was like, well, I've got ME myself. Um, <sighs> so if it's just fat, lazy people, you must be calling me fat and lazy. So yeah, that really... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah well thank you so much for today for speaking with us and sharing this illness and i hope that's going to make a difference for the scientific community and for other grad students to to listen to you and bring them hope and uh, to see how wonderfully you're, you're managing your life today thank you very much thank you Thank you for listening Secret Life of a Graduate Student. Next week, Megan interviews David Payne, who will tell us about doing his PhD at the University of Michigan with aphantasia, or more commonly named as blind mind eyes. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye.